In this episode, I talk with Melis, a first-year medical student, about her experiences prior to medical school. We talk about her struggles during undergrad and her eventual diagnosis of ADHD, which brought clarity to her understanding of herself. She notes the impact of our work and learning environments on our mental health and well-being, and the importance of choosing and shaping environments that support us. Through misdiagnosis and lack of mental health resources, she describes the struggle of trying to receive a correct diagnosis of ADHD and receive the right medication for her. We talk about the benefits and costs of medical diagnosis and treatment and what it's like to live with a chronic condition. We also talked about the limitations of the culture of medicine and how to find happiness and fulfillment within a demanding career. Welcome to the podcast, Melise. We're so happy to have you. Um, It's great to have you here to share your story. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, So first, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born in Chicago and I went to college in Chicago and I grew up between Chicago and Istanbul. Um, Yeah, I took two years off before med school and I think, and one of them was actually a deferral year. So I had gotten in and I think that was one of the best decisions I made in my life, actually. Mm -hmm. And I'll get into that uh, a little later. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit more about your journey to medicine and to medical school. I think I knew that I wanted to be a doctor when I was really young. Um, and I always had some sort of aspiration to go into the medical field or maybe some, do something in biology, maybe a PhD. And I got to college and I was like, oh, I just love biology so much. I'm going to major in it. Mm-hmm. I took a I took a sequence uh, at my undergrad institution that was geared towards like people that wanted to do a PhD or an MD PhD. And it was really intense, but it was some of like the best experiences I had in college because it really got me thinking. Um, but it, at the same time, it was really hard. I There were a, a lot of difficult things I experienced in college and, and mm-hmm. the culture was an aspect of it. And I kind of strayed away from medicine a few times, um, just sort of thinking like, oh, my grades wouldn't be good enough or, you know, do, do I want to continue being in like so much stress throughout my life, Um, you know, things like that. But I always got knocked back on, especially when I went to the hospital and volunteered, Mm -hmm. saw patients. I, you know, anytime I've strayed away, I've, I've been knocked back on the path. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Do you think that part of it was a little bit of like the culture of pre-meds that kind of was difficult for you during undergrad? Yeah, there was, there's certainly the culture of pre-meds, but I also, so I went to use Chicago for undergrad and, and that oh, okay. is a, is a difficult <laughs> institution yeah. mentally to go to, uh, in terms of mental health as well, because the culture also is like, oh, I worked so hard. I didn't sleep. Like I worked harder than you mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. but it's also a culture of deep intellectualism, which was great. Uh, all my, you know, a lot of my friends were different from me and and they studied different things. And I felt just a wealth of knowledge from all directions coming in. That being said, it's very intense. And I, you know, I don't think I had a lot of compassion for even small little mistakes or, or Mm. like just tiny little grade slipping, especially when I, I had come from like, Oh, you know, I'm really good in high school. I have all these great, yeah. Things. but yeah, yeah it, it was, it was also the environment, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. 
And then what did you do in your um, time off in between undergrad and, and medical school? So I graduated in 2020 during the pandemic uh, I, and I already knew I wanted to take a gap year. I actually worked as a medical writer um, in pharmaceutical marketing. And I would, I would say that I was pretty decent at my job, but I really realized that that was not for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I always had this recurring thought of like, wow, I could do so much better. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or like I could do so many bigger things with like the creativity that I have. Um, And I was applying to med school at that same time. And, you know, I did, I did get into Michigan, which actually was my dream school. I had written down a list of things that I wanted in a school and I interviewed at Michigan and that was exactly that. And I knew right away during the interview, I was like, this is it for me. But yeah, so I got in um, and I quit that job because it also tied into my ADHD. I, I constantly would get distracted or try to do something else because the work, while it's difficult, um, it's very intricate, it's very technical, hmm. it didn't uh, keep my interest. Um, and so I would sort of either resort to my phone or walking around or trying to think about something in my personal life just to get a lo- that extra stimulation. And now looking back, um, I saw a lot of characteristics of ADHD. In contrast to that, during my defer, I took the deferral year. Um, they offered it to us. I took it and I worked at two different startups. And um, the great part of, of, of that was just being able to make my own schedule. Yeah. And I didn't have this thing looming over me and I was able to cater my, you know, cater my schedule to whatever I felt like doing. If I wanted to do yoga in the morning and work in the evening, I could do that. That was really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was super happy. And all of a sudden I, I didn't have this anxiety that I always felt during mm-hmm. undergrad, during my job. It, it made me realize just how valuable uh, my environment is. You know, I thought I I actually did have a biological chemical imbalance in my brain. And and to a certain extent, you know, I, maybe I do. I, I did get an ADHD diagnosis. And so, yes, but that chemical imbalance wasn't rooted in, oh, like I am actually imbalanced. Like I have anxiety. It was, it was mm-hmm. something else. Um, it was, it was certainly the environment for me. It, it made me realize that <laughs> I, sh- I, I should value myself more, that I should value mm-hmm. my environment more. Um, and how people treat me and, and how I'm seen yeah. in the context of an institution. Wow, that's really powerful. It feels like a, a good way to spend your time kind of realizing those things about yourself, especially prior to prior to coming to medical school, which is its own you know journey and um, its own beast for sure. Because now I have a fear of, oh, I value myself. And we can talk about this later that, you know, I do want to work, but I don't want to work myself to the bone like I did in college. Like yeah. I witnessed other people do and they yeah. didn't necessarily make it out. And trying to find that, that work-life balance is, mm-hmm. is like, honestly, unfortunately, like a lifelong journey trying to, trying to do that in medicine, especially because like you said, like, it's so nice to have your own schedule and be able to create the environment that is, that works for you and who you are as a person. But then there's jobs and there's career paths where that's very difficult to do. And um, yeah, trying to find that balance, I think is, is a big part of medical school. Um, I know you're like really early in your medical journey, but can you tell me a little bit about um, what your experience in medical school has been overall so far? Overall, um, I think it has been 
Good, because I've I've really enjoyed the material, actually, even the sort of block one, block two kind of rudimentary uh, foundational um, things that we're learning, because I finally feel like I'm, I'm working towards the career that I want. Mm-hmm. That being said, I recognize that um, perhaps my time is not as respected as I wish it was. I, I did choose the one-year curriculum. That is what I wanted. And so I recognize that that is my choice and that is the way I wanted it. Um, but, you know, it's, I think I'm getting back into the pattern of like, I'm going to work until 10, 11 because I need to get this done. Um, and maybe put my personal life on hold at times, which mm-hmm. is, you have to do that to work and in your career. I understand that. Um when you do it chronically, Mm -hmm. I think that's when it becomes a bit of a problem. And that's actually, there's, there's some concerns I have for residency regarding the culture. I just haven't come from like a bit of like a, I work too hard culture um, going into another one that is sort of similar to it. Yeah. I think I felt really similarly first year as well, because I I chose Michigan. It was my dream school to come to. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm choosing the one year curriculum because I think, you know, people really talk it up to um, like students who go through it, like getting out of lectures and right into clinical year is really rewarding. Um, There's a lot of benefits to it. Um, But at the same time going through it, I was like, oh, this is is hard. And I could see the benefit of doing two years of of uh, lectures. Um, I think once you get on out the other side of it, like as an M3, you really get to see the benefits of it. Um, But I think it's very difficult going through it. Um, Even in a culture like at Michigan where, you know, they try and be respectful of work-life balance. I think it's, it's always a work in progress because that's, you know, everyone has a different work-life balance, but like, it's hard to, to find um, that balance institutionally, I think, for a lot of the curriculum planners. Um, and I think things could be a little bit more organized sometimes in terms of like thinking about how to, to provide um, more of that balance for students. Um, tell me a little bit more about your experience with um, your diagnosis of ADHD. Yeah, it actually started a, a little bit, you know, way, way back <laughs> mm-hmm. and way back in college, uh, my first year of college. Um, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety. Now I realize retroactively from my environment. Um, Mm -hmm. I went into the counseling office. I said, you know what? I can't focus, but like, I'm telling myself that I need to focus because I need to, when I, when I use anxiety, I actually use anxiety as like a method of focusing. Hmm. I self-impose anxiety. It's not something that just bubbles up. I don't actually have social anxiety. I don't tend to, you know, just, it doesn't tend to come out of nowhere for me. Um, By the time I had showed up at the, at the counseling office, I had been putting myself down to do work for Hmm. months um, and not caring for myself. And so I showed up, I said, you know, I feel this anxiety, but I also like, I just can't focus, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on. Um, and, and to a certain extent, even in high school and during my childhood, you know, I, I could just get by listening 50% of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But in college, I I really had to just work myself to, to, to to oblivion basically. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and really be constantly on. Uh, it's a very fast pace. My undergrad was in quarters. So we actually had 10 week quote unquote quarters, but those quarters tend to cram semester, a semester worth. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's very, very intense, but um, so I showed up there and I said to this therapist, basically like, you know, I, I know something's going on and I need help, but I, I think it might be ADHD. I don't know. And she said, yeah, I guess you could get evaluated, but you're going to have to pay $800 and wait on this list for neuropsych testing. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. And she's like, you know what? I actually, I think you have anxiety actually. I'm like, okay. All right. So I, I didn't really know, you know, the extent to the dynamics of of my anxiety versus my ADHD. And so I kind of went yeah. along with it and I went to the doctor, uh, to the psychiatrist at UChicago and he was like, yeah, anxiety and, and, and depress and major depressive disorder is sort of like mm. the diagnosis that I got. I started on one medication. It didn't work. I started on, um, finally Lexapro and, and that did end up working. <clears throat> but the funny thing was I, I just didn't care anymore. I didn't have that anxiety. I didn't mm-hmm. feel super down, but I also didn't have other emotions. I was quite numb. Mm-hmm. And my work was still difficult. However, for the first time in my life, I started not getting things done. I yeah. started just skimming books. I would, didn't read them fully. I didn't do my homework fully. I, I got really good at skimming and doing the bare minimum and not caring. And so looking back on that, I realized that anxiety was my tool to mm-hmm. get things done. And when I didn't do that, I think the symptoms of my ADHD came out more, but I also don't have really strong memories because I don't have a lot of emotional associations from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, besides, you know, like the very sort of intense traumatic things that, that occurred that I witnessed, um, those I remember because I also labeled them as, Whoa, what is that in my brain? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the emotions really just day to day, I, you know, I don't have, I haven't collected a lot of memories um, and I don't remember it super well. And I, yeah, I, I wish <laughs> this is hard to say, but, and, and, you know, I don't actually regret anything because, you know, I've, I've gotten to where I am and um, I've learned some valuable lessons, but like, if I had just found the time to do the neuropsych testing that was another issue mm, I, I didn't yeah. think I had the time I mean how what day was I going to carve out I, you know yeah. you're constantly drowning what day was I going to carve out and how was I going to pay for it at that point I was like oh dear looking back though you know should I have just done it it would have saved me from years of like yeah. you know doubting and and not really knowing my direction because I didn't it, it dampened my uh, my passions yeah. I think it really dampened yeah. my passions. Yeah. Yeah. That's so not only is like psychiatry, like, um, like resources and, um, help like so scarce and difficult to get into, but like neuropsych testing is so expensive and so hard to like people stay on wait lists to get that done for so long. I think it's, it's hard to know if it's, you know, if you should jump the gun and just do it, if it's going to be, you know, worth it in the end when it's so expensive and, and takes so long. I think a lot of people can, can feel the, yeah, there's like a, just a barrier to getting those resources that people need, um, for lots of different psych diagnoses. Um, but thank you for, for sharing your story. Um, what was it like to finally receive that, that diagnosis? 
I had tried to speak to my primary care physician during my deferral year to get the ball rolling. It never got rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to med school and I knew they had this, you know, uh, sort of free uh, counseling and, and psychiatry services and things like that. And I said, okay, I'm just going to give this one more try because I'm okay now. I don't have anxiety, but I realized after the first week or two that I once again was putting myself down to get work done. Mm-hmm. I had been actually, I've been off um, Lexapro for, I think, two and a half, three years, or yeah, two, mm-hmm. about two and a half years. I stopped right after I graduated. I said, I'm going to mm-hmm. just figure this out. <laughs> I want to know what mm-hmm. happened. That was, that was also a very hard transition. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also how I realized that it was my environment. So I I don't have that in my life right now. And I said, okay, I know there's something else going on here. I don't know what it is, but I I, I suspect it might be ADHD. I just have to talk to someone and I have to figure it out. At first, so I got into the counseling and it actually took a month um, to get a a psychiatry appointment, which... I actually felt was super long. It's not, by the way, that's not a long time to wait actually in reality. But to me, days were passing. There were two, three days out of the week. That's a lot that would just waste away. It would melt out of my fingertips and I have no idea what I would even do. (laughs) You know, it was, it was really difficult. And then I'd catch up and then I'd try to get ahead and then I'd, you know, give myself anxiety to do it again. But it it was so exhausting. Um, -hmm. anyway, I thought I also had to take, I had to get neuropsych testing, which actually I will uh, eventually, but what ended Mm -hmm. up happening is I did have that intake appointment with the psychiatrist and it was very obvious to her that I had ADHD just based on stories in my childhood, the way I conduct myself, the things that, um, sort of happen socially as well, like such as interrupting people. Um, I've done that my whole life, like kind of like, um, compulsively I can't it's it's really hard to, to control um and I, and I thought it was like a personality trait for the longest <laughs> time and then I started to sort of do a little bit more research and realized oh actually um I just get really excited about things and it's hard for me to limit myself and maybe it's not a personality thing maybe I'm not just an annoying person <laughs> <laughs> or something <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's, it's, you pointed out a lot of different things. And one is like the wait to to get to psychiatry. It's so, I mean, a month, like you said, is actually not that long compared to other wait times. But when you're struggling, especially with mental health, it's like crazy how long that wait can be because your mental health can just affect everything about your day to day. And so it is an enormous burden to have to wait for, to wait to get a diagnosis or to wait to get resources or support the way you need it is it's a real struggle. Um, and I'm really glad you could have someone who could, you know, diagnose you based on your, your symptoms alone and not have to go through neuropsych testing. Cause I know it's helpful in terms of diagnosis and a lot of people like to be able to have it for them to understand their selves a little bit more too. But I think, like you said, it's such a long wait list and so expensive to get into, to have that. It can be really difficult to, to I will actually. That. Yeah, I will actually get it done because yeah. I think I need it for official notation. Yeah. But um, I did, you know, I did start a little bit on medication. Um, and that has been a bit of a wild journey as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, okay, finally, I have this diagnosis and, you know, my problems are going to be solved now. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that medication comes at a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, my insurance didn't approve it, which is 
a monetary cost. Yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't, the PA hadn't gone through and it just, there was always problems. So I just took a good RX code and I said, I'm going to try this myself. I, yeah. I want to see if this works. The first time I took it, I was like, whoa, hold on a second. My mind can be quiet. <laughs> I don't have to have these interjecting thoughts at all times. I don't have to feel like I have to add something to a conversation. I don't feel like I just feel peace. My head was peaceful for one of the first times in my life. I mean, that is like transformative and it lasted two hours (laughs) and then it was gone. And then I had to be tired. And so I tried the extended release form and I'm still actually trying it. This is still a work in progress. The low dose didn't work at all. Yeah. Gave me a headache. Yeah. The higher dose, the double the dose worked a little bit, still big headache. And then yeah. as I take it more, I think the headache gets less, but also <laughs> the, I don't really feel very much. And so I'm still figuring it out. And I actually, um, I have a little bit of fear sometimes surrounding my medication. Do I, t- if I take it, am I going to get tired while I'm at school and I won't be able to go down for my 30 minute nap that I need in order to get rid yeah. of the headache and the, and the ibuprofen? What if I don't have ibuprofen? What if I can't yeah. just close my eyes? I'm going to feel and I feel nauseated actually. Um, and so it comes at a price and, and I got the diagnosis and I, thankfully I have some accommodations to help me. And I thought it was going to be over. I thought my problem was going to be solved. It it totally is not. Um, and I, and I take it on the days that I know I'm going to be even more scattered. And those are usually sitting at the desk days, trying to get Mm -hmm. work done, intensive studying days. Yeah. But it has a cost. Um, it yeah. has like a physical cost. It has a, a, a sort of mental cost. And like, I have to calculate when I want to take it. Oh, am I going to yeah. take it today? And if I do, will I be sort of like zombie-ish <laughs> later? Yeah. It's, I'm still figuring it out. Uh, yeah. And there is no real easy solution. <laughs> I, I totally know what you mean. I think, yeah, medicines always come with the cost, not just like a monetary cost, but, you know, side effects are really real. And especially with psych meds too, like as someone who's also struggled with their mental health, they think there's difficulty in finding the right one for you, the right dose and um, trying to minimize side effects while maximizing benefit is just like, it's actually a lot trickier than it seems. And like you said, can really mess with your day-to-day self and like how you do things and how you get through life. So it's, it's a lot for sure. You know, one other important thing is that I'm very assertive. Mm-hmm. I really advocate for myself. I do yeah. because I, if I don't do it, no one else will. And I've sort yeah. of been the person in the corner, not getting help before. Uh, and I've, I've learned the hard way that I do need help, but I can't imagine this process, this sort of turmoil for someone that doesn't have my level of like, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to advocate for myself, my level of assertiveness. Yeah. I, I think it would be so difficult. Yeah. It was, it was difficult to get here. Right. It yeah. took me six years of trying to get help to yeah. get to this point. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine how difficult it is for others. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about like your role and like what, how self-advocacy has played a role in um, receiving your diagnosis and and what role you think that that plays or doesn't play in the field of medicine. I've I've been thinking about this a lot lately because in our doctoring course, we part of our ICE part of our like interviewing point is to ask the patient, oh, what what do you think you have? What do you think is causing your problems? And mm-hmm. I think that's a new 
step that medicine is taking uh, mm-hmm. in inpatient care. I don't know if it's always been around. I don't feel like I've experienced that from other patients or other doctors necessarily. But it, for me, it took a lot of courage because I also had to admit that something was wrong with me. And I, did, yeah. I don't, I didn't want to do that. That's hard. Admitting that something is, is not going right or that I need help is, is a difficult step to take. Yeah. But um, the process looked like this. In college, I said, oh, I think I have this thing. But I wasn't maybe assertive enough or I didn't take the steps and I didn't push enough, I think. Uh, so I got so I got misdiagnosed. Um, and then I struggled with that for years again. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I tried again to get, you know, another referral. It didn't work out because the referral just didn't go through. Like something happened. I forgot about it. Mm-hmm. It fell to the wayside. I got to medical school. Now this is very consequential. Every single day is consequential. I cannot Mm -hmm. let time slip through my fingers. I cannot continue putting myself down. I cannot continue telling myself I'm not good enough or that I'm going to fail if I don't do this or that I don't deserve to to eat or sleep. Yeah. So that, so there was that, you know, heavy consequential aspect. And that's kind of what kicked me into motion of actually this time being like, listen, I think I have this and I, and I want you to tell me if I do. Uh, because also, even when I started medication <laughs> in the back of my head, I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't in, in my head. Maybe I don't yeah. have it. Maybe I just like played sick or whatever and, and got this diagnosis yeah. and it's not real. And then I took medication and I felt this peace that I've never felt before. And I was like, well, dang it. <laughs> I guess I do yeah. have, sort of have yeah. it or it does actually help me. Yeah. Um, and that was a difficult realization. It yeah. took, it took a lot. It took a lot of trying to crawl out of my hole. You know, there aren't yeah. a lot of holes in the well when you, that you're in, when your mental health yeah. is, is in a, is in a nadir, like a, a low place. And I had to sort of like dig my hands into kind of dry ground as I like to think about, uh, to think yeah. of it. Um, it was hard, but yeah. I'm glad I did it. <laughs> yeah. It pay off. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I've had similar experiences with struggling with my mental health in undergrad. And I think a big push to want to get better was, you know, I had this goal to become a doctor and I wanted, I, I not only did I want to be well to be able to do that, but I have to be. Um, I think medicine demands a lot of you. And um, in some ways it demands that there's some degree of not letting other mental or physical problems get in the way of being able to perform. Um, which we can talk about, you know, does it demand too much of a degree of perfectionism? But at the same time, I think it's a great motivating factor to to want to be well, to help others, and and also to want to take care of yourself because we are we're also human beings who have have bodies that you know have needs and have things that need to be taken care of. And I think learning to advocate for yourself and um, learning the importance of that as a patient is is really important and will probably take you far as a physician as well. Um, and then, um, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, your experiences, um, with mental health in undergrad and kind of, um, the culture at your, um, undergrad institution. And, um, it sounds like you experienced the loss of a friend who passed away, um, due to mental health concerns. Um, is that something you'd want to chat a little bit more about and, and talk about how that, that experience and that culture really impacted you? Yeah, I, I won't give out too many identifying features, but um, 
something that I noticed in an, in an intense area, and I think this also permeates into medicine, is that um, there is like substance abuse problems. Um, and people, you know, depression from the environment, I think, is a key factor of, of what I witnessed during my time in undergrad and mm-hmm. something that I experienced as well. Um, I don't think I had major depressive disorder. I think I was sad because I had a reason to be sad because I, because I was squeezed with every part of me with a squeezed in my productivity, squeezed in my emotional extension. But, um, during my second year, you know, I had gone through some difficult things in my personal life. And then, you know, my friend passed away and, and I had seen him a few days earlier and we were trying to make plans and to just somehow be cut off from life Mm -hmm. was like such a like jarring thing for me at the age of 19. Mm -hmm. I was like, how can this happen? Um, And it was something, someone I knew, I knew like other people in my institution had also passed away. Um, Actually overall in my class, there was five. Wow. Um, One of them happened, you know, one of my friends during the second year and then another sort of acquaintance fourth year, which Mm -hmm. uh, was a traumatic story or it's a traumatizing story to tell. So maybe I Mm -hmm. won't share it in this space, but um, it made me realize the value of life. Uh, mm-hmm. And in a, in a time where I was really doubting whether I wanted to go into medicine, because I didn't think I was good enough. And I was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this person doesn't get to enjoy the other things of life either, mm-hmm. but I'm not enjoying my life right now either. So mm-hmm. wait a second, how do I change this? How do I value myself more? Um and it, it created a paradigm shift of, yes, I, I want to work hard. I really love thinking about innovative things. Uh, maybe I, you know, I could go into device development. I, I really love these things, but I also don't want it to take so many slices out of myself mm-hmm. that I, that I end up in a similar situation or, or feeling what I felt in undergrad again. Um, yeah. And uh, it's not just self-care you know, there's, there's, there's only so much I can do. Yeah. When, when the demands of med school and residency are ridiculous, (laughs) truly, I I don't know why people still think like an 80 hour work week is like a good limit. I I don't, I I think it sounds absurd to me because how can you expect to take care of someone when you're not really taking care of yourself or maybe you can take care of them. Fair enough but can you take care of them at your optimal level? I don't know. It's, it's, it's something that's like always on my mind too, as we think about the culture of medicine and, and what it demands of us and, you know, how, you know, are we making good physicians if we're also, you know, causing burnout and um, also like have depressed or anxious residents and stressed out residents, you know, it's thinking about how to balance those things and, and, the um, culture of medicine and how we create our future doctors, you know, and I think, I think being attentive to that as well is super important because, you know, hopefully we're the ones who are going to change the field and, and make things better in the future too. And, and that comes from, you know, giving feedback and, and being um, attentive to what's, what's a reasonable limit and, and what's not, especially when that's going to differ person to person too, and, and saying, 
you know, this is my limit and I'm, I'm not willing to compromise on myself. I think is really, it's a valuable skill to have, like you mentioned, like the self-advocacy too. It's valuable yeah. to have in medicine. And another aspect of that is that I do believe you create your own happiness. I think I create my own happiness and I do actually, I can control my emotions. There are things I can do to make myself happy and to make myself calmer. Yeah. The, it's a lot more difficult to do that when basic physiological needs aren't being met when you're hungry, when you're tired, right? Like you're not at that state where you can just create, you know, choose to be happy. Like I do choose to be happy. I am, I feel very fortunate to be here. I am so fortunate to get the care that I want. So fortunate to go to this med school, so fortunate to be in this position. But, um, I think a lot of my anxiety also surrounds residency and I can, I can, I, I, I can try to be happy in my job, but, um, it's not just one thing, right? It's like 10 things mm-hmm. in a day. Maybe yeah. an attending says, oh, you didn't do this right. Or they're really tired and they don't correct me in a way that I'm receptive to, which I honestly, I'm very receptive to a lot of things, right? But okay, that's just like one little tiny chip. And maybe a patient is like really emotionally upset and I haven't eaten. So like, oof, I'm taking on that emotional burden yeah. or something. That's another chip. Yeah. And it just adds up and adds up and imagine how much adds up over weeks and months and years. Um, and so, yes, I think I, I do believe you can create your own happiness within the limits of, of the environment that's opposed on you. That makes a lot of sense. Or imposed upon you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've mentioned previously, like things that have, you know, or times where you've strayed away from medicine, what sort of, thing, sorts of things have led you away from a career in medicine? And how did you ultimately end up decide to, deciding to pursue it? I think for me, the culprit that keeps like trying to take me away is feelings of inadequacy mm-hmm. and feelings of that my peers are ahead of me, that they're able mm-hmm. to support their family and do all these things that I can't do at this, at this moment in time. It's, it's mm-hmm. the sort of, it's the everything but medicine part that takes me away. It's, yeah. it's the thinking of, it's the valuing myself too, you know, but what brings me back um, is the, that I don't think I could actually enjoy another job <laughs> in the world. Yeah. And I have tried yeah. it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I thought, oh, what if I don't go to medical school? I stay in this job or I do something similar. No, yeah. no, I, I felt very devoid <laughs> of joy. Yeah. Of, of fulfill- I felt devoid of fulfillment, really. Maybe not joy, yeah. but fulfillment was, was devoid. Um, and I know that I can find this in medicine because it does give me purpose. That doesn't mean that I'm not afraid of what it will do to me in terms of like the, the things it will do to, you know, the, the conditions and mm-hmm. the limitations and things like that. And, you know, I actually do have a little bit of fear speaking about this because what if a residency director finds this podcast in the future mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, she doesn't want to work. She doesn't, you know, she's lazy. She values herself way too much. She wouldn't mm-hmm. be a good, you know, that, that is a fear of mine. And it's not that I don't, you know, I want to be the best I could possibly be in my field. But I've seen what it does to people and I've seen edges becoming frayed and people becoming shells of themselves. I've experienced becoming a shell of myself. That's no way to live. That's no way to live. And that's no way to to train the next generation of doctors. Why pass on that trauma of, oh, I worked... I worked more than 80 hours a week. So you should too. Should I? Should I? Was it wasn't it hard for you too? 
didn't yeah. didn't you hate it didn't you think it was awful at times when you were overworked why do you want to pass that on you know it's we have to stop and think about the culture a little bit more but I agree with you I think I think I've experienced similar things like the the inadequacy I think that's a huge part of of medical school which is really unfortunate um you know I think inadequacy imposter syndrome like all of those things seep into this culture of medicine and also just you know holding ourselves to standards that are maybe impossible like you mentioned like setting these limits on ourselves that are um, really hard to reach is is not a good culture and um, you know it's very it's a very difficult field to be in but it's also so rewarding at the same time like you mentioned it's it's kind of what we want to do it gives you your your passion and your purpose and I think those are important things to hold on to as well as like I agree like you know everything but the medicine is is what makes me happy I love taking care of patients I love you know doing the medicine of 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 medicine but you know I think it's it's important to to find our balance too and the kind of doctors we want to be yeah, I agree. And actually one more point to just sort of that I've been marinating in my mind. I took a, a, a Europe trip in my def deferral year. <laughs> Great decision. Mm -hmm. yeah. But we had drivers and legally they could not drive for more than 12 hours a day. The car, the bus would turn off. It's not allowed. We would get a ticket. We just you know, these chronically tired residents, these chronically tired doctors are seeing, and you know, and what, what's the reasoning behind they can't work 12 hours? Oh, cause they're holding 50 people's lives in their hands. Yeah. yeah. How about doctors? Yeah. It's yeah. even more consequential than I would argue yeah. than a large bus that yeah. could barrel through traffic and probably stay, you know, together. Um, but when you're directly with a patient, maybe you're doing surgery, maybe you're caring for them, you know, psychiatrically, like, I think that's even more consequential. Yeah. It's, it's a very weird yeah thing we have very weird expectations of different professions yeah I agree yeah you're holding people's lives in your hands and and many more the way than one it's not just life or death which is obviously a huge deal but you know people's livelihood too and how they they live their life and you know their their bodies it's it's important it's a huge responsibility and and we should take it seriously but also make sure that we're training training physicians to be um be the best and be be the best that they can be in um, you know, take care of people because they're also of, you know, right. They're feeling taken care of and they're able to do their job. Um, and there's also this argument that, oh, if you don't work this much, you're not going to be like, for example, in surgery, I saw a post that um, a, fe a female physician made and she said, you know, I always challenge my female uh, residents to do more, to take on more cases because I want them to be better. And I sat back and I thought, I don't know about that. Yeah. You sure? Like, yeah. yeah. Experience is great, but experience is also cumulative over time. You yeah. need time to process. And you're in residency for multiple years anyway. It's yeah. the small little things, but an extra case when you're feeling really tired, I don't think is going to stick as well in the brain as, as yeah. if you're well rested and you're like, oh yes, I can really absorb the technique and 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 do this in a way that you know, it's, it's going to benefit my patients in the future. Yeah. I, that was actually very jarring to me. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's the quality of experience too, you know, like, like you mentioned, if you're not in the right headspace for a case, like how, how meaningful is that going to be? Um, but also like, I feel like the more time you spend with the case or with the patient, sometimes that can be more meaningful and more, um, more of a learning experience. Um, 
I remember one time I was in, in an OB-GYN clinic and the physician I was working with was um, super mindful about his practice and how, you know, he took his time with his patients. And we had a patient who was, we were working up for PCOS and he was like, okay, you should ask all these questions. You know, you want to be really thorough in your, your um, evaluation of her. And I spent a lot of time with this patient and we ended up being like two hours behind in clinic, but it was a really meaningful experience because not only the physician told me like, no, it's fine. Like we'll make up the time, but it was important that I do all of that stuff and really, you know, learn about PCOS through this patient, but also give her the time that she needed and, you know, spend the time that I, I needed to spend with that patient. And I think that's, that's much more meaningful um, instead of just rushing through, you know, however many patients you rush through in a day, you know? So I think that's a meaningful renewing experience. Yeah. Like other experiences that are, oh, you just need to do this because you need more experience because you just need volume. I really think quality is important. Yeah. I totally agree with you. So what are some of the lessons you've taken away from your experience with, with being a patient? I think now I understand that the subtle things that patients say what they think they might have, or just very little things are actually so much more consequential. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think some care providers think they are. Yeah. Um, I, I also now know how I, I can kind of see myself in certain patients, not all patients, but mm-hmm. I can, I can see myself if I was in their position, you know, I want the attention and I think I could see myself getting overwhelmed with like patient volume, but mm-hmm. remembering that that is their time. They've waited like for this appointment, probably like yeah. more than a month or something, or, you know, some form of time and yeah. they're not able to like, they, they deserve my full attention. Um, yeah. I think I, I have more empathy and consideration for their time more. I think I could be more considerate and mindful of their time because of that experience as a patient. Um, But also I knew that I didn't know what I needed. And Mm -hmm. so I wish I had been evaluated a little bit more thoroughly before I was labeled with a diagnosis of anxiety or major depressive disorder, Mm -hmm. because I don't think that's really what I had. And so mistakes happen and I've forgiven and I've moved on, but Mm -hmm just being cognizant that you may not actually, you may think you're doing the best thing for your patient, but that might not be the the truth in the long run. And you might not know that. And the patient might not know that in this, in the, yeah. in the moment, one to not beat yourself up over it, but also two to know that like things change, uh, people yeah. change and situations change and you may not be right. And you are fallible. I think that's, that's still something to keep in mind, no matter what, how yeah. good of a doctor you are. It's important lessons to learn in, in medicine for sure and and learning how to partner with the patient. I think having an experience as, as being a patient is really helpful to to kind of be more attentive to what patients might need or um, the importance of patient stories in general um, to the field of medicine. And kind of my, my last question is, I know you're super early in, in your career, but um, is there anything, you know, that you're looking forward to about um, medical school, the field of medicine, or any future goals for your career that you're, you're hoping to achieve? I am excited about collecting patient stories. Mm-hmm. I think that's also why I went into medicine, regardless of whether I do the medicine or the surgery side, I think mm-hmm. sort of interfacing with patients and seeing their 
problems is going to really help me. Also, regardless of whatever field I I choose, I'm interested in three-dimensional thinking that involves surgery, but that also involves radiology. And that's not always super patient-facing, but to, to get the experience of the stories, I think is, is a good foundation for the rest of my career is going to be, I think really transformative and I'm super, super excited for that, you know, regardless of whatever specialty I choose. Um, and, and another thing I look forward to is seeing what creative things I can come up with. Um, I'm not always creative on my medication. It's peace, right? (laughs) My medication is for me. It's not creativity. And so in order to be creative, I know I can't always be on it. Um, and that, and that's okay. Um, but Mm -hmm. I'm also interested to see how that unfolds. How does, how do the good parts of my, cause ADHD has good parts too. It has creativity parts because my mind wanders. I've come up with pretty cool things actually in my life. Mm -hmm. I I tend to be creative and I can come up with solutions to problems because I can see 30 different answers sort of maybe not simultaneously, but within five seconds of each other. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to see how I'm going to fit in, in the, in the, in the context of taking care of patients and, and how my ADHD is going to benefit me and maybe how it might hold me back. And, and if it does, how am I going to solve that? So I'm interested and hopefully I'll have more answers (laughs) in the future. I actually have one, one more question. I'm kind of curious of how, and it's okay if you don't know the answer, um, but how you like conceptualize your ADHD? Because I think people conceptualize that diagnosis really differently. And you mentioned, you know, there's good and bad to having it. And I think sometimes when we think of mental health, um, there's, you know, people can say like, this is a problem that needs to be solved. But others might think of ADHD as kind of a, a neuropsych, almost like disability in a sense. And, and so it gives a sense of uh of pride of having, you know, a different way of thinking about the world and engaging with the world, even if you decide, you know, I want to medic need medication or need help with certain things, like it kind of takes on it, its role as an identity. And so just curious if you've kind of thought about um, the different ways to conceptualize the diagnosis. I think I'll use an analogy. And so I think of my ADHD as like a stuffed animal, like a really cute stuffed animal. It's kind of nice sometimes, you know, it's cute if you hug it, like, oh, you might feel nice. Or maybe that's my innovation and my creativity part of it. If you hug it a little too much, maybe there's sharp corners within it. Yeah. And those sharp corners happen when I'm stressed, when I'm put in a corner or um, sometimes in social situations if I'm super comfy and you can really squish me and I'm really comfortable with you, I might say something that I regret because I didn't think about it. It was just impulsive. And maybe an example of this is like, oh, <laughs> my boyfriend uh, made like instant coffee with like pumpkin spice creamer that I'd brought over. And he said, uh, oh, you know, I'm, uh, it sounds like I'm, I'm I, I liked the coffee. I was drinking it. It sounds like I'm really good at making instant coffee. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> absolutely immediately just abrasive you know uh because I had put in more creamer (laughs) after I had put in a lot more creamer yeah but uh just things like that you know Mm. um in in social situations or a day will just slip through my fingers Mm -hmm. if I am if I don't have like an impeding deadline it's hard to get yeah. things done uh, and I usually get ahead just so I can have like a little bit of time slippage because I know this happens it happens within hours and I have to work more efficiently because of this time slippage that happens yeah. 
throughout my life. Um, so yeah, I think of that as a very cute stuffed animal that can have a lot of nice things. And on the surface, oh, I, I have a little spicy personality. I'm cute, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you really squeeze it. You, you put it under stress and and that's where it might, some of the prickles yeah. might come. Um, yeah. and it's not always good when I'm tired, yeah. especially. Um, and I can't yeah. always get work done well. Um, and so it does hold me back in certain ways and I try not to, but now I know that I'm getting help and I'm going to try the, to use the good parts to my advantage and try to remedy the bad parts the best I can, um, yeah. to, to however yeah. much I can. Nothing is hundred yeah. percent perfect. Yeah. That makes sense. And you think that's a really powerful way to think about it. I think I'm always like, it's, it's just interesting the way sometimes we conceptualize, um, any sort of like disease or illness in medicine, you know, we're always working to cure things, um, where some things are more like not curable, like we can treat things, but I wonder when things aren't curable, like those sorts of things are more chronic. I think, you know, being, being more, um, like having less shame around those things, I think is really important. Um, and taking kind of ownership and, um, realizing the, the value of, the value of certain diagnoses and the things that they might teach us or the things that we might, you know, learn from them or the value that they can give us. And then, you know, kind of minimizing the shame about it and kind of taking back the power, I think is super important, especially as future providers, you know, to, to be um, mindful that there's people in medicine with, with chronic illness and chronic disease mm-hmm. and um, recognizing that. And um, I don't know, bringing, bringing back more of like a, a power to it, as opposed to, to shame around it, I think it's super important. Yeah. And um, medication is just a tool. Yeah. Yeah. Pharma- yeah pharmacology is, is a tool that we use. Um, and it doesn't mean, yeah. you know, ADHD doesn't put me in a corner that, oh, something, you know, I don't think of it. Yes. Technically is considered a disability, but mm-hmm. I don't want to think about it that way because mm-hmm. I also know it gives me really good parts of my life. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah I agree with what you said. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. Is there anything else you'd like to mention or any, any last thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I'm just so thankful that we got to speak about this. And I hope that if anyone else has suspicions of maybe something that could help them, um, just to maybe use this as like inspiration to to reach out to get help. And, um, you know, I, I have ADHD, but ADHD isn't like a huge, it's not me. It's not me like it is my liver, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just something that's sort of in the periphery that kind of acts up and comes out in certain situations. Um, yeah. that needs a little bit of reining in sometimes, but it doesn't define my whole life. Uh, yeah. I try not to, I, I try to let it not define my whole yeah. life. Um, so hopefully people can, you know, just reach out and, and be assertive for yourself. You deserve it. Um, yeah. life is, life is too short and, hopefully you don't have to experience someone seeing someone slip away from this world to to realize that Um, yeah yeah well thank you so much I really appreciate you coming coming on the podcast and sharing your story thanks yeah thank you so much for having me thanks for listening to this episode of the distant moon stories of healthcare education you can find us on oxycardia.com spotify or apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts